Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. For thou art the potter, and we are the clay. Mold us and make us after thy will, while we are waiting, yielded and still. That's my prayer for all of us, that God would have his way in all our lives. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry broadcast tonight. Thank you for joining me. My prayer, as always, is that you will receive a blessing both from the music and the word. And please tell your neighbors about our program. Our scripture lesson today comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning at verse 34. Would you hear, please, the reading of God's Word? When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Pharisees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please now for a word of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which are thy strength and our redeemer. Amen. The Pharisee tried to trick Jesus. He tried to make him single out the greatest commandment in the law. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now the law here refers to the entire Old Testament. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the greatest and first commandment. Now, Jesus' answer comes from the very heart of Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Known as the Shema, these words are the basic and essential creed of Judaism, the center of Jewish morning and evening prayers, the opening line of all Jewish worship. So what does it mean to love God? Well, it means more than simply to believe in God. Listen to what the writer of James said. The writer of James said, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Though believing in God and loving God can be the same, and they ought to be, they're not always the same. Sometimes we can believe something, and it really won't make a whole lot of difference in our lives. Sometimes our behavior calls into question what we say we believe. Take this belief that God is present and God is watching us. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in the presence of your mother. Your mother is watching you. It would certainly enable you to avoid many bad things that you might do in your life. It would enable you to not tell that lie that your mother knew would be a lie. It would enable you not to look at Playboy magazine. Just you wouldn't do it. So what I'm saying is, if you believed your mother was in your presence all the time watching you, it would make a big difference in what you did in your life. Well, many of us claim to believe in God. We believe that he's watching us, and yet we do all sorts of dark things in his presence. I reiterate, our behavior calls into question what we say we believe about God. One of our Methodist bishops said that when he was in college, he worked on a construction crew. He said there was a fellow on that crew, his name was Ned. He said Ned's avocation was the Bible and religion. He said he studied the Bible all the time and he knew it better than any person he had ever known. He said Ted would undoubtedly remember all the, he would undoubtedly achieve a victory in all the biblical pursuits. But there was one thing about Ned Ned didn't live up to the life that he thought he should. Ned had a bigotry about him. He was insensitive. He told stories. He did all of these things, and yet he still said, you must believe in the Bible. You must believe in the Bible. Hear me now. Christian faith is much more than a set of beliefs. Christian faith is a way of life. Sure, it's important what we believe, but that's not near as important as the calling to fulfill Jesus called us to follow him, not necessarily to believe something about him. And then, so what does it mean to love God? It means more than simply fearing God. The writer of Proverbs said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now that phrase is mentioned 18 times in the book of Proverbs. It is at the center of the teaching. It is the theme of the book. And yet some scholars will tell us that the fear of the Lord really means all, and it really means wonder and amazement. I'm quite sure that all wonder and amazement are really the beginning of all wisdom. There was a, a minister who every year in his church, he was in a small church in a mill town, he would preach a sermon on astronomy, but it always went over the head of his listeners every time. Finally, after he had preached it one time, his associate pastor came to him and said, listen, that message on the stars and the planets goes over everybody's head every time you preach it. 
I just wanted to know why you continue to preach it. And the senior minister said, well, it reminds me of the greatness of God. It reminds me of the greatness of God. Yet there was a well-known professor who recently said that this passage, the fear of the Lord, when he was growing up, didn't mean what it meant to him today. The word anxiety came over him. He was anxious about what he believed. The word fear engulfed him. He was afraid of what would happen if he didn't believe what he should believe. He thought the grace and mercy of God was dependent upon our response. He said, however, that when he was asked if he believed in the love of God, he always replied yes, because that was the expected answer. But he said love was not what he really felt toward God at that time. So believing in God and fearing God are not enough. Not enough. To love God means more than that. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. So what does it mean to love God? Well, first of all, loving God means taking God seriously. Taking God seriously. Here's a young couple. They're very interested in their marriage. They want to have a good marriage. And so they arrange to go to the pastor or a marriage counselor for premarital counseling. They are absolutely sure that good marriages don't just happen, that good marriages are more important than simply the wedding. And so they go and they try to work on their relationship with each other. Now, this marriage partner also realizes there's something more than simply not committing adultery against somebody else, this negative virtue. So what they try to do is learn about the role expectations of their mates in their marriage. They try to learn what it is that really love means. They try to learn about communication and conflict and commitment. They're interested in having a marriage that really works. Some wag said, God made marriage holy, but we must make it good. They understand that, and so they work on their relationship. Now, this marriage relationship working is quite an analogy of our love for God. When we love God, we take God and our relationship with Him seriously. When we love God, we pay attention to God and our relationship with God. For Christians, our relationship with God centers in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. What was it Paul said? He said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Well, the Christ who lives in us, this Christ makes quite a difference. He changes our attitudes, our natures, our intelligence, our motivation. He changes all of that. The late Mother Teresa was an outstanding person. This is what she said. She said, by blood and origin, I am all Albanian. She said, I am a citizen of India. She said, I am a Roman Catholic nun. She said, as to the calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong to Christ. I think you would have to say that Mother Teresa took her relationship with God very seriously. She paid attention to her relationship with God, as should we. So, how can we get to know God better? How can we love God better? How can we enter into God's presence more often? Now, there are many ways this can happen, but I only want to mention three ways. First of all, prayer. John Wesley believed that it was the absence of prayer in a person's life that caused the spiritual drought in that person's life. So consequently, he urged people to pray all the time. Whatever else prayer means, 
it means that we are getting in touch with the reality of God. A minister said that every time he committed himself to prayer, he was amazed at how God came into focus and the other issues of his life simply diminished. When he committed himself to prayer, he committed himself to prayer, suddenly God came into focus and the other issues of his life diminished. And then there was Gaston Foote, the preacher, former preacher at First Methodist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. This is what he said. He said, the heart of the Christian religion is the prayer life, the prayer life. The more we seek fellowship with God through prayer, he said, the more God conscious we become, the more God conscious we become. So what will happen to us if we really make an investment of our lives in prayer, if we spend a lot of time in prayer? Well, first of all, we will become more aware of the divine. Then we will develop a supernatural confidence. Then we will develop a real concern for other people. And somehow after that, we will prioritize the kingdom of God. So what I'm saying is to intentionally put ourselves into the presence of God, we must be prayers. And then secondly, worship. Worship is another way we intentionally put ourselves into the presence of God. Someone made this statement. To worship is to be a part of a fellowship that remembers, that celebrates, and mediates the reality and presence of God. The late Dr. J. Wallace Hamilton was one of the great preachers of Methodism. Wallace Hamilton told about the time he was preaching in upstate New York to an annual conference. He said he went one night up the steps into the sanctuary. The people were already singing. And he said there were three boys there, ages eight and 10, and they were sort of looking into the window. And when he got to the top step, one of the boys said, Mr., what goes on in there? Well, that's the question. What really goes on in worship? We really don't know, but we do know we get in touch more and more with the reality and presence of God as that happens. Isaiah the prophet told about a man who entered into a worship service one day. He said he went into the temple, and while he was there, he said he heard a, a chorus chanting, Holy, 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 Lord of hosts. And then he said, suddenly he saw in that year, he saw the presence of God. And then he said, suddenly I saw myself and found myself. This is what this man found in worship. We don't know exactly what all we find in worship, but we do know we get more and more in touch with the reality and presence of God as we worship. And then the other thing that's so very important is not only those two things, but then there is Bible study and devotional reading. Bible study and devotional reading. This is another way we put ourselves into the presence of God, into the reality of God. Now, Christians need to remember we do not worship the Bible, we worship God. But the Bible is a witness to God. For instance, when John the Baptist came on the scene, he was preaching about Jesus. And somebody said to him, are you the Messiah? He said, no, but I bear witness to the Messiah. That's the way it is with the Bible. The Bible is not the Messiah, but the Bible bears witness to the Messiah. What was it that we were told in 2 Timothy all scripture is inspired by God for our own good and our own development. John Wesley was considered the man of one book. That was the Bible. But though he was considered the man of one book, he still knew all other kinds of literature. He knew the classics. He depended on Moravian and Anglican and 
Roman Catholic sources. He knew all of those things. So the important thing for us to remember is that Bible reading and devotional reading also are other ways that we can enter into the presence of God. So loving God means taking God seriously, taking God seriously. And then secondly, loving God, as one Bible scholar asserts, means loving what God loves. Loving God means loving what God loves. Perhaps the writer of John 3.16 mentioned this best when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice that that writer said, For God so loved the world. It was not the nation. It was not good people. It was not those people that only loved God. It was not only the neighbor. It was not only humans. It was all of God's creation. God loves all of his creation, every single bit of it. Now, in terms of God's will and love for his creation, I want to simply to look at what the writer of Genesis says in the very first chapter in the Bible. Listen to these words. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And that was evening, and that was morning, the sixth day. But as you notice in this passage, God told the couple to have dominion, to have dominion. Now, I read recently that of the things that are worthy of our contemplation in, turning, in terms of what we have done wrong and in terms of our sin, the thing that's most ignored is something called species pride. As one person identifies species pride, it's what we believe when we think arrogantly about human-centeredness. Now, have we, in fact, sinned against the rest of this creation? I think it's absolute certainty that we have. I want you to listen to some of these. The cutting down of our forest, the exploitation of our natural resources, our rivers filled with sewerage, there's garbage glut, there's not a whole lot of recycling going on in terms of everybody in the world. These are just some of the ways we have sinned against creation. Now, let me share this with you. God has a big vocabulary. He has many words in that vocabulary, but I only want to mention three words in that vocabulary. First of all, stewardship. God created this world. God is the author of all things. God is the owner of all things. We are stewards. A steward is someone who looks after something for someone else. God has asked us to be the managers, the caretakers of this world, not the destroyers of it, the caretakers. So we are stewards. The second big word in God's vocabulary is the word justice. A minister told about a couple in his church. They had the heartbreaking reality of having a son who was among the homeless. This son had left home when he was 17 years of age. They had not seen him but one time in 20 years. But this mother agreed to go on a, a, sem, a seminar and tell about her experience. 
The minister asked her, why was she talking about her son in that experience? She said, because I want to change people's perceptions of the homeless. I want them to see them not as problems, but as mother's sons. That is precisely the way God wants us to see the homeless and those in poverty. He wants us to see the least and the lost as sons and daughters of God, as sons and daughters of God. What was it Micah said? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with your God all goes together. The third big word in God's vocabulary that I want to mention is the word peacemaking. Peacemaking. If you study the gospel record carefully, you'll find that Jesus thought that he had come to the world for basically three reasons. First of all, he had come to bring a new order, the kingdom of God. Secondly, he had come to live out that order in his own life. And thirdly, he had come to spread the benefits of that order to all people. So Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Now, if we are really going to love God, we have to love what God loves. And what does God love? He loves the world. There was a minister who was riding up the street, and he happened to see a, a whiteboard church. And right in the front of that church was a sign. It said, Full Gospel Church. That minister said, as he thought about that sign, he said, that's exactly what the world needs. And as I saw that illustration, I decided the same thing. That's exactly what the world needs, a full gospel church, full gospel churches. Number one, who speak of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in private. Number two, who have a public dimension. They fight poverty. They promote peace. They work in the social arena. So you bring about the personal arena and the social arena. We all need full gospel churches. So what was it Jesus said? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful for this opportunity of gathering. We are grateful for your blessings in all of our lives. We're thankful you give us a call, O oh God, to be stewards, people to do justice, and people to work for peace, and people to be kind and loving and good in a world that's gone awry. Thank you, O oh God, for these who are with us in this program. We pray that you would bless them all, make them a blessing, meet them at the point of their need, and we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory for all things. Thank you again for your presence and for loving us. Help us to love you. In your name, amen. Thank you very much for joining me for this service tonight. I pray that you receive a blessing and that you will share this program with others. Have a great evening. Good night. Holy.
And he talks with me, and he tells. 